0: Bible so you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you want to mark your spot, you can hold Romans 8 as well. We're going to talk about what it means to walk in the Spirit, how to walk in the Spirit of God, right? So there was a commercial years ago in the 90s with Spike Lee and Michael Jordan. So I'm showing my age a little bit. Spike Lee and Michael Jordan. Spike Lee's asking Michael Jordan like, you know, how are you so good? Is it your jump shot? Is it your jumping ability? Is it the shoes? And Jordan's like, no, it's not the shoes. He's like, man, it's got to be the shoes. And he says it over and over again. Why? Because the shoes determine how you walk. If you don't believe me, guys, if you go put on some high-heeled shoes, it will change the way you walk. They actually have a, a, a race that people run or race in high-heeled shoes for some stupid reason. If you don't believe me, put on your work boots. You walk differently when you have your work boots on. When you put on dress shoes, you walk differently when you put on dress shoes. Why? Because shoes, what shoes you're wearing determine the pace and how you walk your walk. If you don't believe me, you can go put on some cowboy boots or some work boots and go run a marathon. When you get done, your feet will be hurting, you'll be miserable, and you'll be frustrated. Why? They're not made to run in. They're made to work in the same way. If you try to walk the spiritual journey out of faith, Which is a supernatural journey, a supernatural walk. If you try to walk it in your own flesh or your natural abilities, you'll be frustrated, miserable, weary, and tired. And I can spot it in people's lives so quickly that they, they say they're following Jesus, but they look worn out, they look tired, they're weary, they go through cycles, and I can tell they're trying to walk out through obedience to Christ in their own flesh. We have a great example of that in in the Hebrews in the Exodus. They, they, They walk out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery into freedom. And they're supposed to walk by the Spirit by following the cloud by day and the fire by night. That was the purpose, to walk by the Spirit. But they wanted to start walking in their own flesh and go in their own direction. And they started complaining, started getting weary, started getting tired, started getting, th- and they started going through these cycles back and forth, back and forth. They would serve God, then they'd serve themselves. They'd serve God, then they'd serve themselves. That is the cycle of walking in the flesh. And it's just as detrimental today as it was in the Exodus. And I want you to not take 40 years to get to your promised land that God has given you. An 11-day journey for the Hebrews took 40 years. I want to see you walk by the Spirit so you can walk in the peace of God, the power of God, the hope of God, the love of God, and He can lead you from glory to glory and grace upon grace to get you to where He wants you to be. And so it says this in Galatians chapter 5. Paul's talking to the church in Galatia and he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Everybody say walk. Meaning you can walk by other stuff, but I'm saying walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, I say led. In just two verses, he's already said, walk and be led by the Holy Spirit. You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger rivalries including alabama and auburn dissensions divisions envy it's interesting i say alabama and auburn but also denominations and churches drunkenness orgies and things like these i warned you as i warned you before paul is getting parental on them i I warned you once i'm warning you again that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. Everybody say fruit. So he said, walk by and be led by. Now the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live, I say live, by the Spirit, let us also what? Keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He says five things about being in the Spirit in these, these few verses. It's almost like Paul is trying to reiterate, hey, listen, you have to get this. We're called to walk by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to have the fruit of the Spirit, to, to, to uh, keep up in step with the Spirit. All these things he's saying, the Spirit, 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 over and over again. But if you remember in verse, one he says, or verse 16, he says, but I say to you. And what Paul was trying to do was he was addressing this liberality of grace where people thought since they had God's grace and the blood of Jesus covered sin, they could live however they wanted to live. He said, no, no, no. but I say if you're actually led by the Holy Spirit, you're not going to do those things. He's actually also said in the, chapter 5 about the legalism. Well, if you're actually led by the Holy Spirit, there is no law because you're led by the Holy Spirit which tells me we're in a very serious time where I believe everyone in this room is led by one of three things. You're either led by the Spirit of God or you're led by your own flesh or your own soul. And when you look at culture, you'll see people led by the Spirit of God. You'll see people led by their flesh and their own desires. You'll see people led by their soul. And so we need to make sure we're the people that operate correctly because this is key. You are a spirit. You have a soul, but you live in a body. I want you to say: "Say I am a spirit. I have a soul, but I live in a body." See, we identify ourselves with our bodies, like our skin color, our ethnicity, our race, what we look like, our hair, or losing hair, or no hair. Whatever your situation may be, we identify ourselves with our body. But you aren't a body. You live in a body. That's your tent. That's your house. You have a soul. Your soul is not who you are. Your soul is your feelings, your emotions, those types. You are not a soul. You have a soul. You are a spirit, and your spirit lives forever in one destination or another. It lives with God forever for eternity or in the absence of God for all of eternity. You are a spirit. That's why he's overly, overly, overly communicating. To walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to have the fruit of the Spirit. He says, this is Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify means purify, to consecrate you, to make you more like Jesus completely. And may your whole, what? Spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are a spirit. You have a soul, but you live in a body. The question I would ask you is, why do you spend more time making sure your body looks good instead of making sure your spirit looks good? You are a spirit being. You have a soul. You live in a body. And if you can get that order correct, it changes everything about you. So your spirit is your innermost person. That, that's who you've always been eternally. But you were given a body. Your spirit is eternal. It always has been, always will be in the presence of God. And then you return back to God after you die. But your body's just a tent or, or the house that you live in while you're here on earth. Your soul is this meeting place between your body and your spirit. But you need to realize this is who you really are. Your soul will fade away. Your body will fade away. This remains forever. So Your body is your world consciousness. It's how you interact with the world. It's how you touch the world. It's how you feel the world. It's your five senses. It's how you process the world. It's how you see the world, how you hear the world, how you taste the world. It's, all, it's, it's how you interact with all the rest of creation. It's the outermost level, and actually it's the most unimportant important level. But you also have a soul. Your soul is your self-consciousness. It's your emotions it's your psyche, psychology. It's how you think about things, how you process things. It's actually how many people view their identity is how they feel about themselves. It's self-esteem. It's self-consciousness. It's all these things. It's your emotions. It's your will. It's where you choose to, to do something or not do it. And one of the problems with your soul is there's actually power in your soul. One of the greatest books. Written is by Watchman Nee, who calls it the latent power of the soul, that every single religion and new age function in the world is trying to tap into the power of the soul. He said, Why is it important? Because there's power, there's power of self. The Deepak Chopra, who you may have heard of, said stuff like this. He's talking about the soul power. He says, Stop giving away your power. He says, Examine why it's good to be a victim. Really? Why? Because there's power. If I, if I have soul power, if I'm a victim, I draw people into my weakness and I take their power away from them. Develop your core self, meaning your soul. Align yourself with the flow of evolution or personal growth. See, your soul is where a lot of the stuff we see going on the day takes place. Why is it so important for the, the homosexual agenda for us to validate somebody else's identity? Because that's their soul. That, that's, that's where they feel like I am this or I am It's in their soul. And, and when you start trying to examine the world, the world is all living off soul power. Me and mine and how I feel, what I want, what I desire, what I feel, what I, my freedom, my liberty. All of that is soul power. And the soul is where the, the body and the spirit interact together. It's where you process your mind and your emotions with the things of the spirit. And so if you're being led by the soul, you're actually bringing your spirit into your soul to process things backwards. But the deepest layer you have is your spirit. And the spirit is this, but we are in more than just a body or a soul within. We have a part that's deeper than our soul, our spirit which is the deepest and most hidden part of our being. By our spirit, we can contact the spiritual realm. No other creature was created with this third part, the spirit within. By our spirit, God is real to us, and we can contact him, receive him, contain him, in fellowship with him. Only in the spirit. You don't, you don't fellowship with God in your mind. You can renew your mind with the word, but you commune with God through your spirit. Spirit to spirit communion. And your spirit is your God consciousness. It's where you're aware of the presence of God. It's where you're aware of the leading of the spirit. It's where you're aware of the truth of God's word. It's where all this takes place, and that is where your conscience lives. That's where everything happens, but so many believers just worship through their body. You know, I, I don't really see God, I don't really you know, think about God, I'll go to church, but I never really actually commune with them. Or they're soul believers, where it's about their emotions. Well, I didn't feel the presence of God today. Or you know, I didn't feel that, or I wasn't touched in touch. that soul level. The spirit level is a communion with the creator of your spirit. And if you walk by the spirit, you must know that you can walk by your flesh, walk by your soul, or walk by your spirit. And there is a proper order. In that Thessalonians verse, it says, spirit, soul, then body. The proper order is spirit, soul, and body. We are supposed to walk by the spirit, which then should influence our soul, which then interacts how we interact with other people. But the world operates body, soul, and spirit. How do you know that? People, when they get their identity from their sexuality, it's because they're getting their identity from their flesh and turning that into their identity, and they're trying to make that influence their spirit. See, the world operates from the outside in, but the spirit operates from the inside out. Out. That's why Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and truth. He's saying, Work out what I did in your spirit, into your mind, into your emotions, into your will. Work out what I did in your spirit, into your body. All of it's supposed to conform to your spirit. Your body and your soul should never, should never dictate what the spirit does. And so half of spiritual warfare is this interaction. The world is trying to bring stuff through your emotions or through your senses. It's trying to bring stuff to you to try to get it into your spirit. But God is trying to get what's in your spirit out of you to conform. Your whole body be sanctified. Your hands, your eyes, your ears, your mind, your heart, all of it. And so when you think about spiritual warfare, it's so easy to think it's this battle between demons and battles between this. But Paul literally said, Your flesh and your spirit are opposed to one another. And the Pentecostals are go real quick to stomp our feet and rebuke some demons, but you need to rebuke in your flesh more than you rebuke some demons. Because your body is trying to tell your spirit what to do. When you start walking in the spirit, your spirit begins to tell your body. What to do. And so when you're walking in the flesh, it you means you're led by your own desires. You're led by what you want, what you physically want. Many times it's sexual or it's money or it's the, your flesh is telling you what you want to do. And when you're walking in the flesh, you end up being tired continually because you're trying to obtain fulfillment and contentment and joy through work and through effort. When you're walking your soul, you'll know because you're led by your emotions, you're led by your identity, your identity shifts, you're full of anxiety because that's where your soul and your mind and your heart are kind of one, you're full of anxiety because you're trying to process everything and let your soul dictate to your body and dictate to your spirit, but when you're led by your spirit, it changes everything. See, my spirit tells my mind what to think, my spirit tells my body what to do, my spirit, my, everything else conforms to My spirit. And when you're walking in the spirit, it's living the inside out life instead of the outside in. If you get nothing else today, you need to get this. The whole Christian walk is not a religion to be applied to your life. It's not a tradition to keep up because your parents went to church, or your parents were this denomination. It's not an outside influence thing. It's an inside influence thing. That when God touches you and you're regenerated, you're born again, he gives you a new spirit that is holy, that is renewed, that's in communion and touch with the Spirit of God. And he wants that, what's living on inside of you, to begin to transform everything outside of you. And you begin to walk the inside-out life. But if we're honest, most of us walk from the outside in. We walk based on what the news tells us. Based off what culture tells us, based off what our family tells us, based off what we feel, based off our emotions, based off our own decisions. We walk based on the outside in. But I'm here to tell you, you will never experience the fruit of the Spirit walking from the outside in. You only experience the fruit of the Spirit by walking the inside out life. And Paul says it again in Romans. He says it this way. He says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Meaning, your flesh can never satisfy the law. That is why the flesh is tired and broken and weary. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit of God. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds or their soul. The word for soul in the Bible is psyche, psychological, psychology, psychiatrists. The minds of the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds or their souls on the things of the spirit. Meaning they're starting to set the inside, determine the outside effects. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot but those who are in the flesh cannot please God you however say however so he's saying all these people walking in the flesh trying to satisfy God in the flesh trying to satisfy themselves in the flesh he's saying that. but you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you For anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. What he's saying is your flesh may be corrupt, your flesh may be sinful, your flesh may be this. But the spirit on the inside of you has been made what? Righteous, And so no matter what your flesh feels like or thinks, no matter what your mind thinks, the inside of you has been made righteous. Now the goal is to work out that righteousness into my soul, into my body, into my hands, into my life. That is walking in the Spirit. And he says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you you what he is saying is if the spirit of god that raised jesus christ from the dead that resurrected christ out of the tomb back on earth and ascended him if he's in you why in the world are you letting your body tell you what to do when the same spirit that's in jesus is in you if he can resurrect you he can resurrect your walk he can resurrect your marriage he can resurrect your life but you have to be let at what point do we stop and say now nah, i got this At what point did we start thinking that we need to process the world, process our fears, process our emotions into our spirit? And to be honest, a lot of of the prayer meetings I've been in in previous years were all about that. We need to pray. And all it was is really just gossiping and fear, and we just put religious language on it. And what we're really doing is bringing all those things into our, our mind and our psyche and our soul and our spirit. We're just bringing it all down in there and saying, oh, God, help us. No, God wants you to take what's in here, the power of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the freedom of Christ, the joy of Christ, the peace. of He wants you to bring that out in prayer. See, prayer's more about bringing God's kingdom than it is complaining about the world. And when you begin to walk this inside-out life, it changes everything about you. And and one of the greatest illustrations I've seen, I was was flying, I don't know where I was flying from, Kalamazoo or somewhere. And I was in Detroit Airport. I love Detroit Airport because it's wide open. And they have this power walk in this tunnel underneath the tarmac. And they play all Motown music. So I'm I'm a Motown fan. So, you know, you can push the button for the music. No one pushes the button except for Bobby. I push it, everybody's looking around, who's the moron? Like, I love it. And this power walk is long. If you don't know what a power walk is, it's the treadmill type thing at the airport. Right? So with long distances, you can get on that power walk, and you begin to, to you can stand there if you're lazy, and it'll just take you to your next spot. Or when you walk on it, you actually take up more ground quicker. And so when you're walking in the spirit, it's almost like you're, you're walking on one of these power walks. I said, what's that mean? When you're on the power walk, you can actually cover more ground by walking slower. See, I I can stand still, and I'm passing people that are walking on the carpet. But if I start walking in my own power, in the spirit, I actually cover twice as much ground as I would on my own. When you're on the power walk, you actually can lay down some burdens. I can actually set my bags down, and I can stand there, and guess what? My bags may be coming with me, but I'm not carrying them under my own weight. When you're on the power walk, you actually bypass some temptations. You don't believe me. You can't just jump off that power walk anytime you want to. You see that Popeye's go by. Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks. Boy, you, you, can, you can try to jump off, but you bypass them. While when you walk in the power of the Spirit, you'll bypass temptations that you don't want to stop at. See, when you walk in the spirit, you're still walking, but you're walking by supernatural power and ability and deliverance that get you from point A to point B faster than you could do it on. That's why when you walk in the spirit, you actually walk slower, but cover more ground. Which for the American church is really difficult for us to grasp. We want to go, we want to go, we want to go, we want, we want to cover, we want to go. No, no, you actually... Even taking Sabbath helps you get more work done because you get more work done trusting in the God of tomorrow than you do getting your hands dirty today. Walking in the spirit, when you walk slower, you actually cover more ground because the spirit actually moves you and gives you favor and advances you in ways you would never believe you had. See, when you start to walk in the spirit, it's like you're going through the airport, everyone else seems to be sitting still. You just keep moving forward. And you get to your destination that much quicker. Walking In the Spirit. Well, Pastor, how do we walk in the Spirit? I believe there's three things for you to walk in the Spirit. One is you begin to walk in the spiritual awareness that God is always with you. Two, you begin to walk in in the the spiritual guidance the Holy Spirit wants to guide you with. And three, the spiritual freedom Jesus paid for you to have. So, number one is you walk in the Spirit by practicing spiritual awareness. By practicing spiritual awareness. Say, what's that mean? I thought God was omnipresent. Omnipresence just means God is everywhere at all times. We believe, if you're a Christian, it's one of the, the characteristics of God that is immutable. I mean, it doesn't change. He's omnipresent. He's at all places at all times forever. He's here. He's in Iran. He's in Afghanistan. He's in New York. Yes, he's even in Coleman sometimes. He is everywhere. But the manifest presence of God is when God clearly reveals to you that he's always been there. Right? So he's always there, but there's times when God shows me clearly that he's there. Right? So, so for you, that may be in times of prayer, maybe in times of worship. For Jacob, Jacob was running from his brother Esau. He was on the backside of the desert, and he's going to sleep. And God shows him, manifests his presence, and shows him this ladder or this stairway from earth to heaven. That ladder was always there. It wasn't like God just now built this stairway. The stairway was always there. It's just now Jacob was aware of the fact that it was actually there. He had no idea God God was there. But in the middle of that moment, he realized God was there. Uh, Alex McLaren, who's a commentator, said this way, Every child of God, though lonely and earthly, has a ladder by the foot of his bed. Like the sunbeam which comes straight into the eyes of every gazer wherever he stands. There is a stairway to heaven in your bedroom. There's a stairway to heaven in this church. There's a stairway to heaven in your car. There's a stairway to heaven in your prayer closet. There's a stairway to heaven at your, at your job, wherever you may be. There's, a there's this portal where you, the presence of God is always interacting with earth, but it takes us to slow down to actually become aware of it. See, when you begin walking in the spirit, you're just walking in awareness that every step I take God is there. When I step out to my car, God is there. When I get in my car, God is there. When I go to work, God is there. my lunch break, God is there. When I go to church, God is there. See, walking in the spirit is just this continual awareness that God's presence is with you. And it's a trained awareness. One person said this way, "The presence of God is the concentration of the Spirit's attention on God, remembering that he's always present. And all we have to do is recognize God as being intimately present within us. Then we may speak directly to him every time we need to ask for his help or to know his will in moments of uncertainty and to do whatever he wants us to do in a way that pleases him. See, to walk in the Spirit, you got to be aware that he's always with you. Always. There's never been a moment. If you could think back to your deepest, darkest sin, and it may have been the first quarter when Alabama was getting beat by Lane Kiffin last night. It's some, whatever your deepest, darkest sin is, God was still present with you there. Whether it was in high school or in college, and you were way far away from God, you thought God had turned his eye to you. He was there. David couldn't believe David said, like, where can I go from your spirit? This same David, who when he sinned with Bathsheba, he thought maybe God, no, God was there. See, and when you train yourself to, to stretch your antennas spiritually, to always pick up on God's presence, it helps you walk in the peace of God. It helps you walk in the power of God. One of my favorite books of all time, and I don't know I to say that about every book I've read, but it's Practicing the Presence by Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a, a Catholic monk who lived in a monastery. And he wrote this book, and, and it's just in tune. He talks about all these things he would set up every morning in his little cell at the Catholic monastery, coffee for him and coffee for God. And he would train himself to realize that God was sitting with him as he drank coffee. He would train himself that as he worked, God was working alongside of him. He trained himself as he walked from place to place that God was walking alongside of him. And when you learn to operate in that type of awareness, one, it diminishes your sin because it can be very difficult to sin when you know God is standing right next to you. It always brings a peace that no matter what comes against you, you know God is right there next to you. That if He's got your back, He's got you. He's with you. It's not like He's not seeing what's happening, and it changes everything. And Bill Bright of Campus Crusade, he, he has this exercise called spiritual breathing. And spiritual breathing is this exercise just to be aware that God's presence is with you. Do you realize God gave you breath in the Garden of Eden? He breathed life into Adam. That breath that you have is that same breath. And I remember when I was an ag- agnostic or atheist in Buddhism, they, have, they call what they call um, conscious breathing. Conscious breathing is every breath you breathe in, they breathe in, they meditate. This is the breath of life. Without it, nothing exists. And they would just think about each breath. Why? Because they looked at each breath as a gift. Spiritual breathing is when you exhale as confession. You exhale your sins, your burdens, your frustrations, But you inhale, trust back in God. You exhale, God, forgive me. I'm weak, I'm broken, I'm tired. But you breathe in, God, you are so good and merciful. Your promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And as you do that, you begin to practice an awareness that each breath, God is in that breath. But two, it's not just enough for awareness. You have to do what the Holy Spirit actually says. And so you don't only live by the Spirit, you also walk in the Spirit by following the Spirit's guidance. I mean, the Holy Spirit is trying to guide. Being walking in the Spirit, keeping a step of the Spirit means the Holy Spirit is going somewhere, and he wants you to go along with him. And for many of us, the problem gets when, when the Holy Spirit wants to move and we want to stay still. The Holy Spirit is not a target you hit. He's a person you walk with. And as you walk with him, he'll lead you from place to place and from person to person and from peace to peace, and to grace to grace and from joy to joy. He'll lead you. But as you're traveling, you need to know how he's going to lead you. And so when you're walking by the Spirit, you've got to follow his guidance. In the map, if you're traveling anywhere, you have to have directions if you don't know where you're going. If you're going somewhere unfamiliar, with the Holy Spirit, everything's unfamiliar, you need directions, you need a map, you need GPS. Unless you're a guy, you already know how to get there. And if you're a God and you ask for directions, you're no longer a guy. We can talk about that next week. So if I'm traveling somewhere that's unfamiliar, old school, you'd have a map on the journey of faith, which is God's word. The old atlas. God's word is the map. It tells you how to get from point A to point B spiritually. But the GPS on the journey is God's spirit. The only thing better than having somebody give you really clear directions Like, have you ever gotten directions from somebody and they're somewhat clear, but you still miss because the directions, like, you know, turn left at the red barn, but there's like 16 red barns because you're in the country. he said left at the red barn. The only thing better than having really good directions is having a person who knows the way ride along with you to show you where to turn, where to slow down, where to stop. And so God gives us really clear directions through His Word in order to get from here all the way to heaven. That's what Paul is trying to do in Galatians. Hey, if you do these things, you're not gonna inherit the kingdom of God. I've told you once, I'm telling you. So he's giving you really clear directions, but the only thing better is God says, well, I've given them directions, but also I want to ride along with them to make sure they get there when they're supposed to get there. And so you have not only the Atlas, but you have the GPS, which you know now you got Siri years ago with TomTom. I had the George Bush voice on my TomTom. Turn left. Like, you knew how to get there. Don't judge me. Like, it's great to have directions, but how much better? God says, I'm going to give you directions, but hold on, hold on. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to get in the passenger seat with you. I'm going to show you each turn you need to make. See, that's the power of the Word and the Spirit together. But you also need to know, because sometimes the Holy Spirit's voice is very quiet or a gentle whisper. Sometimes It's like, Lord help us. Is RJ here? I can say what, so Archie's learning how to drive, which means he's telling me how I should be driving because he knows everything. He's 15. He, he doesn't know anything. And we'll, I'll be, hey, man, just slow down. I know what I'm doing. Oh, okay, okay. Does that what I'm, I have whiplash from you stopping at the stop sign? And so we argue, see, some of you, God is riding with you in the car, but you're so busy telling him how to drive your life, you can't get to where you're supposed to be going. And the Holy Spirit's purpose, he's not going to grab the wheel and yank it from you. He's just going to keep on continuing. Hey, turn left. Turn left. You missed your turn. Turn around. Hey, you missed your turn. But if you're somebody, I know where I'm going. Oh, really? Turn left. Turn left. He'll keep repeating the same thing. And most of you have been repeating the same cycle for a long time. And maybe you've got, of course, And what I love about this scripture in Galatians 5, he actually tells us, how to know when we get off course or how we're no longer walking by the Spirit. He tells you this. There are trail markers. In the faith, there's trail markers because you're walking in the unknown. I've, I've hiked trails where there's, you really don't know where you're going. It looks like the trail ends. Me and Alicia were in Colorado Springs a couple weeks ago, and we went to Pikes Peak, which is clearly marked because it's just a mountain. Like It's easy. But sometimes you're walking through journeys of life where it seems like the trail's not really there. Seems like no one's ever walked this way before. There's not a gravel path. There's not a dirt path. There's just trail markers, right? So on some trails, it may be a little ribbon around the tree. For some, they'll mark it clearly like that. But there's trail markers. The trail markers are there to remind you you're still on the right path. When you stop seeing trail markers, that's when you try to find a GPS phone to call the park ranger because you are lost, The same way spiritually, when you stop seeing trail markers, it may mean you're no longer being led by the Spirit and you're lost. Or what are those trail markers? He literally tells it, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He literally says, these are the trail markers on the journey of faith. Meaning, if you're walking and you no longer have love, you're probably off the path. If you're walking, you no longer have the joy and peace of God, you're probably on the wrong path. See, so many of us, we think God has left us. We didn't, he didn't leave us. We left the path he put before us. And so you're no longer feeling the love of God or experiencing the love of God. I promise you, God did not move. If you're no longer experiencing the gentleness or kindness or goodness or faithfulness, then maybe, just maybe God moved. And it works both ways. If you're no, no longer showing love, I promise you, you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. If you're no longer showing self-control, I promise you, you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. And so you are very easily can recognize: am I walking by the Spirit or not? It's that easy. And some days you may be on the right path, some days you're not the good news with Jesus. It's He just all it takes is, hey, I'm sorry I left you. I don't know where I got off track. Please forgive me. And He puts you right back on the path where you started. Spiritual guidance. He leads you by his word and his spirit, and he gives you these trail markers to help you understand where you're going. But last but not least is you walk in the spirit by living in spiritual freedom. Paul said this over and over in Galatians. Whoa, whoa, you can't walk in the flesh. The law, like you're no longer under the law if you're under the spirit. He's trying to say there's freedom in Christ. But for us as Americans, we think of freedom as doing whatever we want to do. Whenever we want to do it, and anybody who gets in our way is a conspiracy theory, is a tyranny, is dictatorship, is this. No, all freedom has boundaries. All freedom. When God created the heavens and the earth, he created boundaries on all of creation. In the Sermon on the Mount, he reiterates those when he talks about the birds of the air. What he's saying is, when a bird's in the air, it has all this Freedom. But if you put a bird in the water, not much freedom. Take a dolphin in the water. It has all this freedom to swim wherever it wants. You take it out of the water, no freedom. You take a cheetah on the plains or the safari. It can run 70 miles per hour. Freedom galore, freedom galore. But you take it and put it in the water, no more freedom. Same thing with us. We have freedom, but it comes with boundaries. And the boundaries are not to stifle us. It's to make sure we stay in the place that produces the greatest destiny for our lives. And he literally says, it's about staying hand in hand with the Spirit of God. If you walk with the Spirit, he'll take you from freedom to freedom. And the old Celtics called it, called the Holy Spirit, actually a word for the Holy Spirit. They would call the Holy Spirit the wild goose, which is where you get the term wild goose chase. Where the wild goose is the Holy Spirit. He's not somebody who just sits around. He leads you with this exciting adventure of faith going from place to place as he leads you and as he wants you to go. And so the way you experience the freedom of the Spirit is actually the opposite of how the world says it. The world says you break down boundaries, you break down rules, you break down these laws, you break down all these people, you break them down. I can rule my own life. The opposite of that is actually true for the Spirit. In the Spirit, it's not about ruling yourself, it's about submitting to the rule of Christ. It's about casting off things that actually hold you back instead of adding things on and so it's this easy he says it in Galatians 2 20 how do you experience spiritual freedom you crucify your flesh why in Romans 8 he says but your flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God so why are you going to set your mind on things the flesh for that's enmity with God he's saying if you want to walk in perfect freedom which is the kingdom you must crucify your flesh well pastor what's that mean it means maybe just maybe for once Tell your flesh, no. Just tell your flesh, no. Your flesh rises up. Your flesh wants to look at something on TV or look at something on your phone. No. Your flesh wants to lust. No. Your flesh wants to eat at the all-you-can-eat buffet. No. Like, no, it's okay to say no. Why do we think we have to submit to our flesh? Your flesh is never going to reside with you in heaven. Your flesh is never going to occupy heaven. So why are you letting your flesh lead you? You can actually tell your flesh, no, that's what fasting, fasting trains your flesh to know its spot. Stop right now. No. But you also need to cast off everything that hinders your faith. In Hebrews, he says, you're running this race, cast off every sin and every hindrance. I mean, but if you're being led by the Holy Spirit, you can't follow the wild goose if you're carrying all your baggage with you. So cast off, meaning there's some things in your life, if you want to be led by the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, there are certain things in your life that you need to cast off. Listen, I said cast off. They don't fall off. They don't stumble off. God doesn't take them off. You have to cast them off. And the problem with many of us, we carry the same junk around that weighs us down because we just won't go, oh God, I'm praying, please just take this away from me. It's hard to take some away when you're holding it across your chest. It's hard to cast them off when you have it in a backpack and you carry it with you everywhere. You have to cast some things off, meaning anything that prevents you from walking in the fruit of the Spirit or walking in the power of the Holy Spirit or walking in the holiness of the Holy Spirit, anything that hinders you, you're supposed to cast off. But last but not least, it's not just about casting things off on you. it's about casting things onto God. It's very hard when you're walking that power walk, like it feels OK because you're pulling your bags, but you, it doesn't take any power. But where you're going, you don't need any bags. If you're going to heaven, if you're, if you're occupying the kingdom, you don't need any bags in the kingdom of heaven because God provides everything you need. Even Jesus with the disciples says, hey, you don't need to pack a bag, you don't need to pack a sackcloth, you don't need to pack it. Just go where I tell you to go and I'll provide for you. So you can actually cast your cares and your burdens on the Lord. It says this in 1 Peter, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Psalm 55 and 2 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Jesus did not pay for you to carry burdens, he paid for you to have freedom. And at some point, there's some casting you need to do. You need to cast off some restraints, you need to crucify some flesh, you need to cast some cares. Prayer is this exchange. So, what's that mean? Prayer is an exchange where I go into the throne of God. In prayer, I cast my burdens on him. I cast my sin on him. I cast my shame on him. I cast my guilt on him. I cast my issues on him. I cast my anxieties on him. I cast my burdens on him. I cast my pains on him. I cast my sickness on him. I cast my disease on him. I cast it on him. In return, he gives me his yoke, which is easy in life. He gives me his peace. He gives me his joy, his love, his mercy. His Prayer should be this exchange. If you pray and you feel the exact same burdens as you did when you went in, you didn't pray, you talked. Or you prayed, you cast them down, and you said amen, and you started walking, oh, let me grab that back, and you pull it back. Prayer is this exchange of casting burdens and giving promises. That is the God we serve. you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a quick second. Not going to take long. Walking in the spirit. It's not some magical formula. It's simply becoming more aware of God's presence. Of allowing him to lead you and guide you step by step. Not just in the pivotal moments of your life not just in the big decisions of your life, but keeping in step with where he's leading you. But it's also living in spiritual freedom. We don't let your flesh get in the way. You cast off any sins or anything that hinders you from running the race with him, but you also cast your burdens on him. And so maybe you, maybe you still live from the outside in. You live flesh to soul to spirit. And maybe you live that way because your spirit has never been transformed by the blood of Jesus. Your spirit's never been washed and cleansed and made new again. There's nothing to work out from your spirit because your spirit is still dead, dying, and corrupt. The only way to change that is not through some magical prayer, not through some, you know, pastor, pray for me or pastor, show me what I need to do. No, none of that stuff works. The only way to change that is by repenting, confessing that you need Jesus, and allowing for him to give you a new spirit, and you begin to allow that new spirit to transform you from the inside out. It may take a while, but it makes you new on the inside. It starts to change the way you think, change the way you see, change the way you operate, change the way you act, change your behaviors, change your decisions. It may take a while, but it begins from the inside out. He said, that's me. I, I, need, I need to do that today. I need to confess my sin, my brokenness before Jesus, so you can give me a new spirit that I begin walking in the spirit and be transformed from the inside out. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come forward, but I do want to pray with you. And I want to point you in the right direction. He said, that's me, Pastor. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. That's you. He said, no, that's me. I just want you to slip your hand up real quick. Thank you. Anybody else? Wait just a second. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for the promises of Jesus that are yes and amen. Promises of forgiveness, promises of mercy, and the promises of your Holy Spirit. And I pray for those who just raise their hands, Father, confessing you before me, and I pray this is the beginning of a new journey with your Spirit. I pray that you give them a new spirit that is holy, that is pure, that is undefiled. You give them the boldness and the courage to begin to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Renew their mind, renew their body, renew their decisions and behaviors and everything. Father, also for everyone in this room, I just pray for a constant awareness of your presence as we come and as we go. I pray for spiritual guidance in every moment of the day to lead us from glory to glory and grace upon grace. And I pray for spiritual freedom, Father, those who have been going through cycles of sin and repentance and confession. I pray right now the cycles are broken in Jesus' name. They cast off restraints. They cast off shame. They cast off guilt. They cast off fear. And Father, begin to lay their burdens at your feet and they walk away hope-filled, free, joy-filled, powerful, and led and empowered by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' holy name and all God's people said, amen.